right. Welcome back to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of our many initiatives. So thank you for joining us here. Also, please remember to subscribe to the podcast because that allows other writers to find us much easier. Also, giving us a rating, writing a comment, all of that helps us out. But if you'd rather DM us, you can with any questions or topic suggestions. Just want to heckle Josh. That's fine. You can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out, or on our Instagram at act2writers. I'm also on Instagram at Story Thursday or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am on Instagram as Josh Hallman and Joshua Hallman on Twitter. <laughs> and today we are talking about film school with a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? I'm very excited. Me too. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm James Stottero, Um, and I'm a writer producer. Worked on a bunch of genre shows. I just celebrated my 22nd year in the industry. Holy cow. Oh. So I feel super old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just talking to Josh. I guess this was the last episode where like, you know, I've been working for 10 years and someone just called me an up and comer. So maybe you're an up and comer <laughs> still, James. <laughs> but James, you're yeah, also being very humble. Tell us what you're working on. Uh, so I'm currently working on, on Batwoman. Um, which has been a great experience. Um, it's sort of a nice homecoming. I worked uh, uh, the showrunner Carolyn Drees. I'd worked with for several years on Vampire Diaries, mm -hmm. um, and so this is my third DC comic show. Once once you work on one, you never escape. Apparently, <laughs> so that's been a blast. Um, yeah, there's clearly just going to constantly a source of, of comic book shows coming. So so that may be that may yeah. have been a good career move. But it's it, but it is interesting how quickly you do get typecast in a way, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a bad thing, but it was interesting that when I was going up for, I can't remember which, I think it was Kylex Y, they were like, okay, we don't really see nerd credentials. And, and so I had to go to ABC Studios and I had a meeting with this exec. And as soon as I walked in, my, my, I have a writing partner, Chad Fivash. And as soon as he walked in, Chad saw the little figurines on the back window and instantly was like named what special edition. I didn't know what they were, thank God. Mm -hmm. But literally 30 seconds into the meeting, the executive was like, okay, you passed. Yeah. <laughs> so it actually wasn't that hard to then do something, to branch out into something that we technically didn't have a, um, a sample for. Like I'm a big horror fan. And I've only encountered once where mm -hmm. showrunners for a horror show, um, where the showrunner was like, look, I'm not seeing an actual, like just total horror script. Like mm. I think most people nowadays, I feel like yeah. they're just looking for really good voices and writer writing. And if it's not an exact match, sometimes it sort of allows you to expand the the voice of the show in a way. Yeah, I think so too. That that's and I feel like that's a topic for another day because we talk a lot about brands and do you need it? Do you not? How how crazy do you go if you do want to do a rom com? Can you do that even though you're also writing action adventure? So that is a really interesting, <laughs> especially you. I mean, I feel like. You know, you worked on Legend of the Seeker, so we're obviously going to talk about when you're rebooting that for season two. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> you also like worked on like a Mickey movie, a Mickey Mouse movie, right? Yes, which I was yeah. supposed to. We were supposed to write. Um, we were supposed to write the sequel to The Emperor's New Groove. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so we would have to watch. We would have to go to Disney and watch every couple months. We'd have to watch the new versions. 
and which was a blast um, to get to see how it changed and everything. And then when the movie came out, it was a complete bomb. Now it's this beloved cult film, but the time it is, yeah. Bomb. So they were literally like, well, we're just going to roll your deal over until you have to write this this um, animated short, which was fine. It was a blast. I, I loved working in animation. I mean, I, I don't, I'm assuming you're enjoying it. Yeah, um, I am. It, I, I just love that you can kind of do anything or, or not that you can do anything, but you're certainly not bound by um, the constraints of physical production. Absolutely. It's great to have the animation company come back and say, we don't know how to do that crazy thing that you just wrote, but we're going to figure out how to do it. <laughs> and it's not going to cost a lot more money. Great. <laughs> and I love from my perspective is that it's like, well, you just draw it. Yeah, like, right. not, like, why is that like, another hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> they're like, you don't know what you're doing, do you? Um, and it's like, well, no, I'm not. I, I'm used to like, well, we have to do it on stage, so it's yeah. Like, yeah. But it is. I think there, there, there is the freedom to do a little bit more. Is 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 certainly, um, I think, a, a, a very rewarding. It's probably the equivalent to like when uh, someone says to a writer, "Just write this scene and just insert," <laughs> you know. Yes. This relationship scene, you're like, what? what? This is going to have the yeah. ripple effect on the entire script. But you're like, hey, just draw. Just draw, just draw yeah. something. We can't just write anything and they can't just draw anything. It probably is a great equivalent there. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I'll just say, and then we can move on to the real stuff. But when I saw that you had worked on the Mickey movie, I was, I was like, message Tosh. And I was like, oh, this is, I'm so excited now. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know it. But a few years ago, I realized that my dream is to write like a Mickey Mouse, specifically like a Disney movie like that, where it's like a Christmas movie, a Halloween uh, show, something like that. I, I didn't know it, but maybe because I grew up with it and I just love it so much. So what an honor it is to talk they to you were... right now. Oh, well, thank you. And they were they were terrific. I loved work. I, I, I think I would have continued doing that if they'd let me. Um, and not that they didn't let me, but I just haven't worked in animation again. Yeah, that's yeah. good to know. I kind of miss it. Come on over. Let's go. Let's have a party, James. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So we asked James to come talk to us because a couple weeks ago, he had this really interesting and very honest, I thought, Twitter thread that ended up going viral on screenwriting Twitter and continues, it seems, to get a lot of follow-up questions, which is interesting. And it was all about his experience at Columbia's film school, which we will get into in some detail later. Josh and I also went to film school. Our experiences are very different and also very different from yours. And I think we have some very strong opinions about that. So we'll mm -hmm. kind of chime in too with what our experiences were. But first, I'd kind of like to just paint a picture of where you came from and kind of start at the beginning. So like, did you know when you started to go to college, you were doing your applications in high school, that you wanted to be a screenwriter? Not ex I knew since I was six years old that I wanted to be a filmmaker, um, but I thought a director. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think I was a kid who grew up, late, you know, uh, born in the '70s, kind of grew up in the '80s, and you know, every time they had those, um, what like Star Wars movie come out, they'd have a making of special that were largely about marketing the movie. But as a kid, it was this window, very young age, it was a window into people make them. like, like this is somebody's job. That's the thing I didn't understand yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. And I grew up an hour from Los Angeles, and I still didn't get that. It, no, I couldn't understand why when people would be like, I want to be a fireman. I'm like, you know, you can make movies, right? Like, have you yeah. not figured that out yet? I was the exact same way. I was. I'm from Wisconsin. I used to think, I want to make movies. I want to direct movies. I'm going to write movies. I'm going to act in movies. I'm going to produce movies. Like, I just thought it all 
went together. I just, that's what I thought like the movie industry was anyway. I'm sorry. Continue. No, and that's, it isn't. I mean, I was super ambitious and actually very specific. I mean, I vividly remember in fifth grade, we had to give a presentation on what we wanted to do as like where we saw ourselves or what we wanted to do. And and I announced that I was going to be, I was going to direct the first uh, full length feature computer animated movie, which I clearly failed. <laughs> Sorry, to, to Toy Story beat me to it. Toy Story beat me to it many, many years. But and I, what's funny is I like I didn't even have a computer at the time. I don't. Mm. I, but I was obsessed with Tron, and I understood, you know, that the 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 few minutes that were actually generated by uh, that were CGI that I was obsessed with. So mm-hmm. so I had this clear vision. Like I didn't necessarily know how I was going to get there, but I had a very clear vision of what I wanted to do. Interesting. But at the same time, I mean, like, uh, so I grew up, um, we moved around a little bit, but largely grew up in very rural Southern Maryland. There were seven kids in my graduating class, um, including myself and the foreign exchange student who got full very last second. And, <laughs> yeah, my my parents ran the local gas station. So I, there was no sort of path that I sort of, that somebody could help yeah. me say, oh, this, this is yeah. how you do it. And I think so, so largely out of that, it became this reverse engineering from you know directors that I liked, you know Spielberg, Lucas, um, Zemeckis, uh, James Cameron, and so you sort of you start trying to do as much research as possible. And well, how did they do it? So maybe I can you know. And so mm-hmm. you know, University of Southern California uh, film school came up a lot in those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, okay, you can go. Okay, so you can go to film school. Okay, that makes sense. Like lawyers go to law school, doctors go to medical school, filmmakers go to film school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, like that path made, it, it seemed like a path that actually was logical and clearly did work for, for, for a lot of the people I liked. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was also aware that like James Cameron was a truck driver, but it was like, okay, I could go to film school or I could drive a truck. Um, mm-hmm. the film school seemed like more fun to be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a path that makes more sense. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I would say I did not like. Josh, I think, has the same had the same experience as you, like wanting to be a filmmaker early. I did not. I did not know you could write movies until I was in my 20s, like in college. And then I was like, oh, that's a job. I'm going to try and do that. And then I couldn't do that because the school I happened to go to was this small all women's liberal arts school up in Oakland. And like all they had were video classes. So like and I'm very curious kind of what your college experience was like in terms of the classes, because for me, the classes were like, like the A plus student, her project was um, a banana that she put in the microwave and filmed exploding. And I did a narrative and everyone was like, oh, Tasha, like a narrative. That's so homely. <laughs> but oh, the banana. So that's that was my experience until I, and then I was like, okay, I should probably go get a real film education. And then I went to Boston University to get my MFA in screenwriting, which is an even, you know, as we'll talk about a, a huge waste of time. But it was really interesting to finally wow. study filmmakers, um, which I didn't get to do in that like, weird liberal arts education. Um, but even then was still like, I don't know how this is a job. I was going to write novels. That's what I was going to do. And um, in my experience, anyways, they did not then teach you how to turn it into a job. They just taught the art of it. So which kind of leads into the next question, which is, seems like you had your head on straight. You knew you wanted to be a filmmaker of some kind. So then when you entered college, what did you think you needed to do, I guess, to get into the film industry? And what did you think life would look like in the film industry when you were in that college stage, freshman college stage? 
I understood the industry was, was, was the odds were stacked against me. So I feel like I was trying to sort of spread my risk. So for college, I was very much committed to, okay, I'm just going to get an undergraduate degree in something else while still taking film classes. So, and so the mm. thought was, okay, I could maybe like be an English teacher or something. So I, so I, I majored in English, but I did take classes, but the notion was that I would go to grad school for, for the, like the real mm. hands-on sort of uh, thing. But at the same time, while in college, but I also want to prepare myself for that. So going to school, so I went to Columbia undergrad, uh, which was an amazing experience. Um, and it was also in New York City. So I could volunteer on, on student films, low budget films. And it was an environment where you could show up the first day as a PA on a no budget movie. And by day five, because half the crew has quit, um, mm -hmm. either because they haven't been paid or they've got a paying gig. So by like day five, you're the electrician. And so I learned mm. things like how to how to tap into the electrical system of street lamps um, so we could <laughs> shoot. Let's talk later after this. <laughs> so I know, it's a really good skill. Um, but because so I so I very much sort of tried to say, OK, I need to learn other things that I can bring to the film industry. I was at least somewhat mindful of the fact that I wanted the education to be as broad as possible. But the thought was, OK, if I also do really well as an undergrad, then that will help me get into a place like USC for grad school, mm. which it doesn't actually matter. I mean, I think that that was that was that was a big mistake that it actually it in some ways I could have done one stop shopping by just doing it all as an undergrad. Although I don't know if Columbia, I think even though I had a film major, I don't think it was very production based. I think it was closer to your experience with the banana. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I took a lot of those classes, but I don't think it was actually film, the mechanics of filmmaking. So did you then study English because you literally wanted to just have a backup or because you thought that that was stacking the deck for you for success to then become a filmmaker? You thought that was the path? I think a little bit of both. I think it was the kind of risk management of it opened up options. So if I if this didn't work out, I had I at least had on my you know, resume that it said something other than film. Um, but I think it was also a, a knowledge of, of, of or recognition that you needed something to say. And so I, I took a ton of random classes. I took classes in Russian literature. I, I, you know, I, I tried to get as broad of an education as possible. So when it was getting time to making movies, that I was bringing something to the table. Yeah. And did you have the urge to move? uh to los angeles or like, was there that like that need or feel because i i'm always curious and i talk to people who are on the east coast now it's obviously different with you know technology and everything but um were you feeling like i need to be in la like i need to get out west i i did but it was also terrifying like the people like mm -hmm. it, it i i did i think on some level recognize that i could just pack my car and drive out to los angeles where i know no one but that on and people that do that are i'm so in awe of because that seems like the most terrifying thing ever. I did, it's, it's interesting, I looked at USC for undergrad and I did, I think it was it, Los Angeles, I knew ultimately that's where I would be, but it felt a little scary in this small little town. Although the idea of, I don't know if New York is any, <laughs> yeah. any less, less intimidating, yeah. but I think in, in retrospect, looking back, I wanted as much knowledge going in before I had to yeah. do that truly terrifying leap. But my plan was for grad school. I think my plan was for grad school was USC. USC was my first choice. Mm -hmm. um, and what was interesting, applying to grad school, I applied to five programs and the two most selective were Columbia and USC. And they were the only two, was, uh, two I got into. Oh. So my first choice was USC, but 
Columbia, because I was an undergrad, they allowed me to work as a residence hall director, which gave me free housing for grad school, gave me an $8,000 stipend. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit more of a better financial arrangement. And when I called USC, because that's where I really wanted to go, I basically said, Columbia's doing this for me. (laughs) Could could, could we maybe do something similar? Yeah. Yeah. what, What can you do? And the person answering the phone said, we will let you put the world's greatest film school on your resume. No. Whoa. And, and so I couldn't argue with that. <laughs> um, I mean, in some ways I was sort of impressed, <laughs> but <laughs> the confidence. I know, I know. I was like, I was like, okay. So but I, I simply it was it was doing a numbers game. And I think also at this point I was very comfortable. And so I used mm-hmm. the excuse. So I also and I don't think this was an excuse, but I thought this was well set. My sensibility is much more USC. Like I'm, I'm a total, like in terms of Spielberg, Luke, I mean, that like, that's my, my kind of um, sensibility. So at the time, this was the mid nineties, uh, independent films were taking off. And so I, in Columbia is much more geared towards that. And so I think what I sort of thought also as a strategy was, okay, I'm going to take my mainstream, big blockbuster Hollywood sensibility, but I'm going to attempt to get an indie smaller character-based education so then it's like maybe this will be the perfect combination yeah and that actually kind of calls back to something you said earlier which i think is really important is that you were trying to get sort of a fuller education rather than just a film school education because so much of what we hear i think in our business is um producers or buyers are just more curious by the voices of people who have lived a life versus people who have just done film school and that's it and of course, those people tend to, not always, of course, but tend to just have uh, inject um, more life experience in what they're writing, and it just co- seems to come alive on the page. And so I do think um, what is then very interesting is that you you built your life to be that way, <laughs> specifically. <laughs> and then on top of that, then decided, okay, I'm going to take this, you know, the Spielberg mentality and bring it to the small. So you're, you're just constantly trying to pull from all these different places, which is so great, because just as a sort of FYI to other people who are considering film school, um, just a film school path. If you graduate film school and go straight to the industry, some people think that's not that interesting, actually. They're not, they're definitely not impressed by film school right. just in general, but um, they're more impressed if you've, you know, like I worked at a homeless shelter for a long time and I bring that up in meetings and people are like, oh my God, tell me about that. Who cares about film school? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. It, 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 I think because also, and I don't know if maybe it's because so many people did go to films. It's like the ones that went to film school, they don't need to hear more about it. Um, And the ones that didn't go to film school, probably it's because they didn't make that choice. And so Mm -hmm. they don't need to hear about it. And that they're much more interested in your, your experience at a homeless shelter. I mean, that, that, that will be, you will stand out a lot more than even having the world's greatest film school on your resume. Totally agree. I mean, it's interesting that, I mean, I, 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 I love your framing of that because I do think that's true about the trying to grab different things. And I, I'm, I'm now going to steal that when people ask why, <laughs> because I think it, it makes me sound so much smarter. Um, <laughs> but uh, ultimately, the end result was it was just money too. It was mm-hmm. the resources yeah. I had, and I think it probably worked. It just worked out that way too. That that was maybe also a somewhat a little bit of a smarter, or, or at least there was a philosophy behind it. But ultimately, it came down. It was just the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it, that worked out for you in, in some ways, because I, I bet that gave you um, a more varied education than you might have got at the best film school ever. Um, but I am very curious in terms of just like really getting down to sort of the nitty gritty of what you thought you needed 
in order to get into the film industry. Because when I started film school, it was a completely blank slate for me. I had no idea what I needed to do practically. What what sort of job, like entry-level jobs were there did I need to get? What skills did I need to hone besides just learning about film? I knew nothing about what the job market looked at, like out there. So when you entered grad school, it sounds like you knew oh, so much more than I did at, at all of these stages um, about the film industry. But what did you feel like you needed to know to get into the film industry after you graduated? Being a kid that grew up with movies, the answer to all of life's questions could be found in movies. And so what my whole knowledge of what needed to happen came from this movie called The Big Picture, mm -hmm. um, which is this Kevin Bacon uh, movie uh, starring Kevin Bacon. It was directed by, written directed by um, Christopher Guest. And it was a satire of film school mm -hmm. and the film, you know, leaving film school in the film industry. But even though I recognize it was a satire, it, it did provide a, a sort of path, which was that ultimately, you know, you need to, you need to learn what you're doing, but you needed a great calling card. And so most of whether, you know, mostly things it becomes, it's a, it's a short film or a great script. Mm -hmm. And so while I recognize that you can learn a lot from watching movies, but at the same time, the actual level of craft was something that I, I, I felt like there was, there was um, gaps that you didn't really know. And that I do think that what film school appeals to people is people that recognizes that they, that they do have things they need to learn. And, but the ultimate thing I think was, was thinking what this program hopefully would get me was that all of those skills, different skill sets would culminate in having this great sample to take to the industry and would, you know, hopefully, and I thought at the time, this is the way it worked, was like an agent would see it and then sign you and then uh, they would send you out. And before you knew it, you had a three picture deal with 20th Century Yeah, Fox. naturally. So my whole focus was really on trying to, it was all about directing. I was not considering writing at all. I knew that was certainly a path, but I felt more confident as a visual storyteller than, than, uh, um, than mm. uh, writing felt like, writing felt hard. <laughs> like, writing was hard. <laughs> <laughs> directing actors was the one thing I didn't quite have a ton of experience for because as I was making little films as a kid and you know, forcing the neighborhood kids, I recognized that there was acting limitations um, that getting a performance. So that was another aspect where I sort of, as, as wanting to be a director was like, okay, let me learn, let me actually working with people that want to be actors. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, so, so that was, that was definitely a skill set for me that I felt was lacking and I was hoping to, to fill in. Um, and the nice thing about, I don't know with your experience, but at least at Columbia, you're forced to do all the different disciplines, at least as far as directing, writing, they even force you to do acting. That was one of the things I thought was unexpectedly one of the most valuable things yeah. was that it taught you to respect the craft. And it was largely you spent a semester humiliating yourself. That's exactly how I felt. I, it was the most anxiety ridden I've ever been in my entire life is, is having to go to that class every you know couple days. Oh my gosh. If, Oh, wow. Which if you got nothing out of it, if you got nothing out of it, it was to just understand how vulnerable actors are making themselves and That's it. to yeah. appreciate that they are, that they're, that there's a sensitivity involved. So I thought that was very valuable. There was something um, that I took away from like actors and acting uh, like those classes where it was like, um, you know, where, where did your character just come from? what are they doing when they come in and you know, what do they want? And that was always kind of like the character work that then obviously translates into writing. But that was, that was like an acting thing that kind of always stuck in my head that actors always do. And I was like, yeah, 
I feel like your your experience with acting class was much kinder than mine because that's that's nice and valuable. Like mine, our teacher made us do um, scenes from Sex Lies and videotapes, so they're all they were just all like just so humil like I, and I was also like I <laughs> like that wasn't that's wow. not who I am, right? Like. I, <laughs> I'm not pug- publicly that way in any way. And so like to have to just completely strip down, not literally, but very emotionally and have to have these kind of like sex type scenes with people was horrifying. But I think he did that on purpose because he he wanted yeah. us to do exactly what you're talking about, James, is just completely realize how vulnerable and scary it is to be an actor. I think there are so many actors that turn out to be great writers because they're thinking of all the things you just outlined. Mm. In a way, in a deeper way that sometimes I think from a writer's standpoint, we know what we want to happen. And we don't always necessarily put ourselves into, oh, this, what, let me put myself in the position of this character. And what would they do? What do they want? And I think that that's, you know, I often tell actors, you know, it's like that, that that is the best training for writing in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I do that, that actually, I do think in a weird way, the acting classes actually did help with ultimately with the writing. Yeah. What what are the odds that you're going to sign up for an acting class after this uh, podcast, Tasha? (laughs) Very low. Very, very low. (laughs) Um, I'm curious, Josh, did you have a similar experience when you were going through film school, as James is talking about, of like you knew you needed a short film, like you had your eye on the prize? Because I feel like you talked about you just wanting to do everything when you came out here. Yeah. You know, I'm also from a small town and I also... I love big movies, blockbusters, Spielberg, Lucas, everything you just said, you were speaking to my soul. So when I was going to school, I I just knew I wanted to move to Los Angeles. And I was like, when I get to LA, I'm going to figure it out. Like that was always my, my plan. I was like, I'm just going to get there and figure it out. I'm from Wisconsin. This, this shit doesn't, this I'm out of here. And so I didn't, I, 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 just to be totally honest, I was a little more like, you know, I was just having a, maybe a little too much fun throughout school. And I was just like, I'm going to move from here one day. And then I was like looking forward to that day. And I got out. I don't even remember what your question and was. Gosh, I <laughs> so you were just, your plan was to land in LA and then just make movies. That's it. Yeah. I always looked at moving to Los Angeles as like my second college. Like I knew I was like, I, I need to, this isn't where I'm supposed to be because I wasn't really learning anything my first year, second year. And I was just kind of like, I, I got to move. I got to get out of here. Did you know anyone? Um, when I moved out to LA? No, before moving. Or, like, were you, did you? I, I did not. Wow. See, that that's that level of insane courage. Yeah. But let me take that back. I had, I had a friend's family who lived in Newport Beach, and I moved out to them. And they were like, you can work at our furniture store. I was like, sweet. <laughs> and then I had to move. And then, ironically, I met someone when I drove into LA. Like, this is going to, this sounds like so shady. This is a story for another day. But like, <laughs> at a party... And I had, and I ended up staying with them for a little bit. And then one thing led to another and then uh, got contacted with an old family friend who I hadn't seen, but was friends with my mom. So that's how I got out here. And then I just started. Jeez. To I didn't know any mom. of that. And I've known you for 10 years. Yeah. I didn't know you worked yeah, at a furniture no. store. <laughs> oh, I sold furniture <laughs> for one summer. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I was a little scattered in my uh, decision making. But I do think, but there is something to be said for that. And I think that that's, I do honestly think if I analyze my choices in some ways, it was trying to avoid that scary moment that ultimately I was going to have to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways it, it'd be better to have gotten to that place faster. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's talk, let's get into your, tw- your, tw- 
Twitter thread now because I think oh I, the, the meat. Let's <laughs> go. The thing that set everything off. Because you, it is interesting because in your thread you you tell us the whole story of how you ultimately made it to Los Angeles and kind of we're getting there. So do you want to just talk about where the thread came from? What kind of prompted you to do it, and then kind of tell the story of what you told there, which is riveting. <laughs> Uh, yes, although the, the irony is my advice to so many writers is don't tweet. <laughs> so oh, it's no. funny that <laughs> um, I, but yeah, no, so so uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article that they're doing a whole series on student loan debt and what they, because now they finally have been able to sort of publish, I don't know, wherever they've gotten access to seeing the debt held by people leaving programs and also compare that to their ability to repay based on their starting salaries. Mm. And so they chose Columbia because the Columbia MFA program that encompasses the whole school of the arts, not just the film school, but had a uh, shockingly high debt, median debt burden, along with a very, very low ability to repay within two or within like the salaries that the students were making within two years. And so I read this article over lunch and was I became actually physically ill because yeah. I could so, and it, it, I, I know that you know the way inflation works and everything, but then I, it didn't occur to me that the program was like $70,000 now a year. Mm. And so that was resulting in students having like $300,000 worth of debt. And I mm -hmm. think the reason it made me ill was because I could see the sliding doors moment where that could have been me. Um, because I went a long time ago, it probably it wouldn't have been $300,000 worth of debt, but I could project myself into that reality given the fact that, as, as I mentioned, I, there were 55 of us who started, and there's only four of us that are actually doing what we sort of set out to do, and realizing that 97% of, or 93% of the people who were in the, that program were ultimately having some level of that debt burden, unless they came from, from extraordinary wealth. Mm -hmm. And so out of, and so a lot of that's what I'd sort of had been feeling for the last 25 years when people ask like, should you go to film? That's a big question you constantly get asked. And so I was looking at least my own program and feeling like, wow, the odds were terrible. And in fact, actually one, one of the, the things that I, I added later to the thread was that one of the guys in the program who wasn't successful in the film industry won the lottery. And oh. it's a weird thing when you look at the odds that we have the same number of working directors as we do Powerball winners. And <laughs> So I know I know statistics don't quite work that way, but I felt like if people were spending all this money, the odds should be better than a, a lottery ticket. Yeah. And so out of that, that's what sort of prompted me to um, uh, yeah. fire up the Twitter, the Twitter machine. You know, what's so yeah. interesting, by the way, about what you're saying is that I feel like any other kind of dis discipline that would be horrifying. Like that school would shut down. But I feel like in our business, it's like, well, the blame is put on you. If you weren't able to make it in the industry, that's your fault. Which why? <laughs> You're right. Like they should be preparing you for a job in the industry. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And, and, and the, the students that were the focus of that article were also getting a lot of exactly what you're saying. They were getting a lot of hate online. So that also bothered me too, because it was sort of like, I also wanted to kind of at least give a little bit of context for what you, you know, that, that, that they, they were in some ways that while, while they may have, you should have probably known you were going to be 30,000 or $300,000 in debt. I don't think that was made clear in, in, in many ways. And that you look at the glossy brochure and they tout um, a lot of great people and you assume you're going to be one of them. 
Yeah. And so again, I did not actually envision this would go viral in any way. Um, I thought, I mean, everything I wrote about in that thread, my sort of friends know I've talked to it's, it, it's, it's, it's sort of one of those funny stories. Mm. Um, but I did feel like I wanted to add context for, because the, the, the article was so focused on numbers and to sort of maybe talk about what I thought were some of the problems of why those students got in the position that they did and why the program was not maybe as successful as it should have been. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things when I did get to the, the, the program, I mean, I did, I found that so many of the teachers were also just these desperate people also trying to break into the film industry in a way that was sort of like, well, maybe that's not, they could be great teachers. And I don't want to sort of rag on saying just because they didn't have practical experience, but it was one of those things where IMDB had just started as I was in the middle. So you could actually look up what your instructors had done and mm -hmm. when it's nothing you were sort of like wait yeah. a minute and so and i and i did have there were some good perfect like i had a guy named david shaber who wrote the warriors and did a lot of big 70s films and he was largely retired and i felt like he, that, that one class if i if i if i could just give all my tuition to him that would mm. probably uh be what was um that was sort of a success because i think he taught craft not just giving opinion. I felt like many of the faculty members were, it was almost like they were treating it like a, um, a feedback session, which mm -hmm. maybe you could get great feedback on your script, but that doesn't necessarily help you for the next one. Whereas this guy, David Shaber, really just sort of nuts and bolts. And it didn't matter whether you're writing a slasher film or you're writing some um, period epic, like he was giving you a set of tools yeah. and you could build any kind of house you wanted, but these were the tools to do it. And so, that was something I recognized very early on in the program was that it was like, oh, there's not a, I don't see the path forward. And, and they were very much like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the, don't focus on the industry. Whereas I was at least, well, how do we not focus on it? Yeah. So did you have any classes that were industry related or were they all study films in really interesting, bizarre ways? And that's it. What Can you kind of talk about what your classes were like for film school there? The there most mostly it, there was a, like theory criticism. So where you did watch movies, um, although most of those classes I literally took as an undergrad. So that was another weird experience to get my schedule and say, oh, by the way, I got an A in all of these classes. Yeah. <laughs> Give me something else. Um, I probably should have just turned the papers back in. But so <laughs> but then there were then there was for you did take classes in writing, classes in directing and then classes in acting. And I think there was one business to film class, but it was focused on like marketing. Yeah. Which is not necessarily, I mean, that, that, I think that's fine, but there was nothing that sort of said like, oh, here's how you're going to, this is what you transition to. And so one of the things I mentioned in my, in the thread was that the, what the program sort of geared you towards was the idea of you, they had a big festival at the end of the, of the year. And again, this actually tried that this tracked with my thought of, okay, you make a calling card. And so it wasn't till I got to the end of the year and saw the festival and you see the films that people are making and that how much money they were spending. And as I mentioned, like this one film was this World War II epic that had a tank and it was, it was shot in Europe. It was, in, it was shot in Polish, you know, and I'm in sitting in a theater thinking I don't have you know, whatever sixty thousand dollars this thing cost. I've never been to Europe. I don't, I don't speak Polish. Like I, don't, I don't know how one replicates this. And so, I sat there realizing like I am so screwed. And so in that moment, I instantly was like, I can't afford to do this. I can afford paper. So I'm going to write. 
And something I didn't mention though, but that I, I sort of became acutely aware of is, so that person who made that film, it ended up winning the festival. It ended up winning the Student Academy Award. So in some ways, so that's like, they hit the brass ring, the silver ring, mm -hmm. the gold, like they got them all. And to date, the only credit that they, the only professional credit, they directed an episode of Law and Order. Mm. And which wouldn't even pay for the, you know, so it's one of those yeah. things where it was like, I'm looking at this program and say, even if you succeed beyond your, beyond everyone else in the program, it does not still result in an actual career. Yeah. yeah. And so out of that, that's when it was like plan, sw switch to whatever, whatever the next plan is. And so that became. You hit the emergency writing. button. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no, it, it, it was like, I better take these writing classes. I, I'm now like, I'm now my focus is, is I need to be a writer. And so I, you know, again, sort of the process of trying to reverse engineer people I looked up to. So like Chris Columbus was a writer that wrote Gremlins, you know, and then did directed Home Alone. So it was like, okay, that's going to be my path. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write a script. This was kind of the heyday of the big spec sales where every week a spec script would sell for a million dollars. So, yeah. so in many ways, my, my plan was do that, sell yeah. a script for a million dollars, uh, and then, you know, you know, then I can pour some of that money actually into a, in, into a student film. Yeah. I'm not going to do a world war two epic. I'm going to do a world war three. epic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to show you. Um, and so that became weirdly the terrible plan of, Oh, write a script to sell it. And I had a friend who then became my writing partner. And so, yeah, we were like, just write the most commercial thing you can think of. And at the time scream had just come out. And we knew we couldn't replicate that success. Like we were, we were. This is all terrible advice, by the way. Um, we knew. Oh, no, this is great. But we were smart enough to to know. Yeah. Don't replicate that. Like don't like the that wave. We are we are behind. So we thought, what's the next wave? And so we correct, sort of correctly guessed the teen sex comedy. We were like, whatever '80s genre can we bring back in a smart, sophisticated way? Mm -hmm. So we decided to write a postmodern spring break movie that was sort of raunchy, but funny and smart and not sexist. And so we, uh, that's what we did. And so we thought we could enter it like in the screenwriting festival. And I think largely, I don't blame them. I mean, it was a spring break script. I don't think any Columbia professor was going to <laughs> champion. I, I seriously don't blame them for being like pass. <laughs> um, but we were stuck with the script. Like, so this was, this was literally the plan <laughs> was, okay, we have to sell this, but we had no idea. The program didn't provide any way for what we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So I happened to be randomly in Los Angeles for a week. I didn't know anyone my age and my, there was a person that I randomly had met like eight months before who was an assistant. Um, I didn't even know him that well. But uncharacteristically, and it wasn't even, I was just, I think it was out of boredom, but it was very uncharacteristically. I decided to call him up and just like say if he wanted to get drinks. And, and per your suggestion from the previous episode about maintaining contacts, this is an mm. example of why that, that is stunning advice. Wow. So I, I call him up. He's like, yeah, sure, let's get drinks. And that night while getting ready, my writing partner calls me and says, hey, I've been researching producers who I think would be good for this script. He's like, there's this guy, Neil Moritz. Um, who's now the Fast and the Furious guy, but before he was making like teen comedies. And so mm -hmm. he, so my writing partner was like, well, I think we should get Neil Moritz. And I very uh, sarcastically said, well, I know one person in this town and their name isn't Neil Moritz. So that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> I meet this guy for drinks, this guy, Justin Rosenblatt. And so I'm like, hey, so what are you doing? He'd switch jobs. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm an assistant for a producer at Neil Moritz's company. 
And I laughed. I laughed because I'm like, this is so funny. And I tell him what happened. And he's like, well, I guess I got to read the script now. And I, it was one of those things like if we had just met, I never would have had the courage to see. Yeah. And also, I think it would have been it would have been bad for him. it would have been bad manners to him because then he would have thought like, oh, I was just using and I wasn't. I literally was whatever. And so when he immediately said he'd read the script, I I was instantly like, no, 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 no. I was not that I wasn't fishing. I wasn't fishing. Um, but he's like, no, give me. then he wanted the script because <laughs> I wouldn't give it to him. And I gave it I gave it to him. And. The, that Sunday, he called me and said, who has this? And I was like, you. <laughs> and he's like, do not give this to anyone. And I was like, uh, is it that bad? And he was like, no, I love it. I'm going to pitch it at tomorrow's staff meeting. Oh, shit. So, so the thing is, this Sunday wasn't any Sunday. This was Academy Awards Sunday. The reason I'm telling the story is because I want to lay out the insane amount of luck yeah. that is nearly impossible to, 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 to replicate in a way. But so this was Academy Award, the Academy Awards for the 98 Academy Awards. And so if it hadn't been that Sunday, everything would have ended because my friend's boss read this. When she eventually read the script, she did not like it. And so everything would have ended there. But because she'd been out a partying a little bit too hard for the Academy Awards, she did not show up to that Monday morning staff meeting. Mm -hmm. So when wow. her assistant pitched the script, uh, Neil Moritz was like, oh, who would be good for that? And so it passed to this other producer, Brad Luck, who was was more of a kind of guy, like it felt like the sensibility match. Yeah, I know Brad, definitely. <laughs> he's great. Like, he, yeah. yeah, he's so great. So he's like, sure, I'll take it. You know, takes it, puts it on his desk. I don't think at this point he had even read it, but across town, so this is now like the fifth insane coincidence. Across town, Michael Nathanson, the head of MGM, decides he wants to make a spring break movie. So all of his execs sort of called the producers they work with. Mm -hmm. So Brad Luff gets a phone call from this exec saying, Michael wants to make a spring break movie. And Brad's oh like, I, I have one. So he just sent it over. And at this point, I could be wrong, but I actually don't think he read it. Because he read it, he liked it, he didn't love it, mm -hmm. is my, re my recollection. Like, I mean, not that he, he basically thought it needed to work. And so, and he's probably right. But he read it, gave me a bunch of notes. And meanwhile, the other producers now like, mad at the assistant for why did you give this project mm -hmm. away so she is now also giving notes and she doesn't like it as much so the notes are really extensive and so my writing partner are very confused as to what we're supposed to do we have no you know it, it, essentially all of it's going to just collapse and then the middle of it mgm calls and says we want to buy it we love it we want to make it so this brad to his brad to his credit was like don't do those notes <laughs> like yeah. brad was like forget everything we said like like let's hear mgm's notes Wow. And so it's it's one of those things where then it's like, how do you, you can't replicate? You just can't replicate no. that. And the, and the interesting thing, too, is just to bring it all back around was they wanted to attach a direct. They want they hired a director and they hired this guy who had just graduated from AFI, who had this hot film. And it was sort of like the director. The director was sort of what I envisioned I was supposed to be in this mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah. But he want I think he was fielding a lot of offers. And I honestly, if my suspicion was he didn't want to jumpstart his career with the spring break movie, which again, understandable. Sure. So they paid him a ton of money. He was like, I'm gonna rewrite the script. He took a year. By that time, he handed it in. I think they forced him to hand it in. And it was it felt like it was pretty clear he wrote it at the last second just to hand yeah. it in and honor the deal. And by that point, there was a regime change, so it never got. Mm -hmm. but we were working writers. 
A hundred percent. That's like you achieved the dream. Like people always say, ah, I'm just going to become a screenwriter and sell my million dollar script. And no, you know, that's never going to happen to you, but it happened to you, James. You're like a unicorn. Yeah. You are a unicorn. Tasha and I, we just talked about this yesterday, actually, about what, what people perceive as luck and good fortune. And we were talking about how, you know, you look back on certain, not just you, but people, you look back on these wins in your career and you're like, whoa, if that person wasn't driving through Los Angeles on that exact day at this exact time, I wouldn't have had this meeting and I wouldn't have sold that. And it's just so crazy how these things work. In our industry, specifically. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's terrifying. I mean, I, I honestly, and I, I'm not kidding, I like it keeps me up at night where I think of all the sliding, all the pivot points where it all could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, like me calling a person, I've, I mean, I'm very, incredibly shy and res- like that is so insane to me that I did that. Or just if we, if what if we decide to resurrect the, the ninja movie? Mm hmm. Like instead, like all the little things that needed yeah. to, to fall into place. And, and and so that's where I think with reading that article, I could see all these people that I went to school with. It's like they just didn't have the weird, lucky thing. Like, I mean, I went to school mm-hmm. with some incredibly talented people and they just they didn't have that weird fluke. And I had like seven of them in a row. Mm. Mm. I'm even right down to with then that was literally the only feature we've ever sold. And it turns out that Neil Moritz's company had just sold a TV project and the writer had to back out and they were like, would you guys be interested? And we were like, what is it? And they said, uh, they said they want switchblade sisters, but we're not quite sure what that means. And so my writing partner immediately was like, you mean the Jack Hill girl gang exploitation movie from the seventies? I have the special edition laser disc if you'd like to watch it. <laughs> and so they immediately were like, yes, you're our guys. Yeah. And that's how we sort of fell into TV. I mean, I'd never, it was never. And then it's like suddenly like 22 years later, it's like we're still working in TV. But the funny thing out of all of this, because I hit, because that weird detour, I just was one class short in getting my degree. (laughs) Well, then let's talk about that because I assume, all right, James, you've gone and done the dream. You've, you've done what we've, been training you to do you've just sold a screenplay how did columbia receive this news while you're still in school they were not impressed <laughs> um what? were all. they jealous so they had to be a little jealous of this right i think i think yes yeah, some people because i think that chad and i i don't think people weren't i think people were very skeptical or, or sort of dismissive because we were you know it's like we wanted to make very lost art but yes. the, even among the faculty it was a little bit of like there was this just sense of, well, you're not going to finish the program. And it was like, no, <laughs> why? I mean, I recognize mm-hmm. this point. No one. And I even think I recognized way before that. No one like looks at your, at your diploma. Like nobody cares. I, yeah. I, I was very much aware of it. I think at this point, the only reason I wanted that degree was really for my parents and the mm-hmm. fact that I had, I had spent money on it. So it was sort of more the completest thing. And because my writing partner was in the same position, except he had had that, he took that class. So he just had to turn in some of his thesis. And so they were very accommodating as far as him. But it was the fact that it was a class where I was supposed to sit around a table mm. that they were unwilling to overlook that. And you were already living in L.A. at this point. So you you couldn't even go to classes is what you're saying. I was spending the summer in, in Los Angeles, but I still had an apartment I was subletting. So technically, I was I was the plan actually when I when we packed up the U-Haul to move out was I stopped at the school and said, here's what happened. Can we figure out some way 
that I could do this through correspondence. And the the head of the film school at the time was he was he was he was actually reasonable. I think he was his attitude was kind of like you did good kid, but we yeah. can't just ethically ethically it would be wrong. It would be like if you were in law school and suddenly somebody hired you to be a lawyer. Okay, fine, we just give you a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just want to say I just I, I I always think about what it would be like to be in school, going back to school and being like, hey guys. I just sold a script. What are you guys doing for lunch today? And you're like in college. <laughs> like that idea, I, you know, we've talked about it with like, I think Simon Kinberg, JJ Abrams, and now you. And I've always wondered, damn, I wonder what that was like. It's always just so crazy to hear. Well, apparently nothing happens. Apparently it yeah, was no big deal to yeah, everyone yeah. in Columbia. <laughs> what, the, the funny thing is that I did, I had like a going away dinner. And with with like people and and so people people like the, my close friends were obviously very happy or whatever. And then there was one guy who happened to be there, and so I was explaining. And he was in the he was in the playwriting program, and it was sort of this awkward like he clearly was sort of this was a frustrating. To, we were sort not I don't want to say frenemies, but we I don't think we got along very well. And so I think that that my success really was annoying to him. But I was talking to him, and he was saying whatever, and he made the comment. He said, "Well, I should just switch to screenwriting because I mean, I guess it's you know it's it's so easy to sell." It's so much easier, yeah. <laughs> and it was such a dig that I was like, yeah. I was like, screw you. Cut yeah. to three late three years later, he did do that. <laughs> so. So the joke's on me. Um, yeah, screw you, uh, James. <laughs> I know. I was, it was one of those things. I was like, okay, my my hats off. You 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 did, and and uh, but yeah. So it's yeah. one of those things where I it, I just looked at it like, I mean, honestly, my my, my parents would occasionally bring it up. Like, you're really not going to get the degree, uh, you know, it, it, somewhat just because it felt like you were so close, and so yeah. I didn't really care. Yeah. But then, working as a writer. You know, your careers progressing, and because Columbia had a thing where they did the festival in New York, and they also did a version out in Los Angeles, and so they would bring out the people, the, the students in the festival, and so they would try and kind of make their since they flew out the, to make their make it worth their while, and so they'd have panels, and so some of the I can't some of the coordinators or even one of the I can't remember exactly who whatever had reached out and said, hey, would you mind being on one of these panels? And so I did this a couple times and it was, I was always very gracious because I also, I think deep down side, I understood they haven't, I can at least provide the information about the industry that, that it's too late in some ways, but that mm-hmm. I, that I felt a, an obligation to basically try and give whatever advice I could. So I was very, I, I tried to be as generous with that as possible. And then it was only like, it was like the third time where there was a mix up where they introduced me as my year. And it was like, I, I felt like, I sort of went with it, but then I felt weird and it felt like, yeah. and so I just mentioned, by the way, you know, I actually didn't graduate. And also I didn't know whether I was supposed to mention, by the way, I dropped out. Like, is yeah. that, is that, which I feel like actually in retrospect, I should have, I should have sort yeah. of as a, like, and I felt like the program probably should have been okay with that. But, yeah. um, so it was, it was actually a, one of the coordinators that was like, well, let's actually see if we can seal the deal and just get you your degree. So this doesn't become a weird thing. And so then he put me in touch with the current uh, chair of the film school. And so we talked on the phone and he seemed really enthusiastic. So it was like, this was like great. And the thing is what I understood that what we needed the, the ask was that I had, I had to register for that class. But if I registered for that class as like a full-time student, it would be like $20,000. Mm-hmm. What we were trying to do was get it. So you're at least in the program is your first two years, you pay full tuition for while you're working your thesis, you pay this like $900 research arts fee. And so the thing we were trying, basically was like, just pay the research arts fee. Mm-hmm. And, 
and we'll do a, what he what he proposed was we'll do it. You'll do an independent study with him. And so I was like, great. And then he insisted that well, I had to come out to meet him face to face. And so I thought that that and he was always he was saying he was very busy with the festival. And so I, it was one of those things oh, where I. I was like, I was like, oh, and it was in the middle of, this is early May. So this is the middle of staffing season. Mm-hmm. And Legend of the Seeker had just been canceled. Sadness. Pour one out. <laughs> so I was looking for a job. And the last thing you want to be doing is in the middle of staffing season. I mean, sometimes you get means like the last minute. And to fly back to New York was, it just potentially timing was not great. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, so this isn't a great time, but maybe like I tried to like push it. I was like, cause this didn't, it was like, what's the rush. It had now been many, many, many years. So, but he was, he sort of very kind of abruptly was like, I'm doing you a favor. And so I was like, Ooh, I felt very, I felt very chastised. Yeah. At the same time in my brain, it's like, you're saying you're really busy, but you're, it's this kind of a, can this just be an email? Right. Um, <laughs> and so I fly out. It was a red eye. I paid a fortune for this red eye. I was exhausted. I couldn't sleep. And I show up to the meeting. And and then he starts pitching me a television pilot. I love this. And because I was exhausted. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, and you're trying to nod. And yeah, I try and also be a polite audience and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're just thinking this is going to like this is some weird segue or or <laughs> it's like, you know, in. You know, I'm, I'm sure you know everyone's sort of used to having friends pitch you their great idea, but it's slowly one of those things where now, as this is going on and on and on, you're sort of it's like your your mind is putting together all the pieces about, yeah, you want someone in person so you can hear a pitch. Oh, independent study with me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so in the uh, pitch was a procedure. Yeah, it's, it was the whole thing was like kind so of out of body experience. <laughs> I love hearing this though. I love this. I love all this. <laughs> but you. You go from the cringe of hearing this pitch to then the cringe of wondering where this is all going. And because it's also one of these things that that I had never worked as a, in a procedure. Like I'd never, like it was one of those things where, and he made a comment about something like, you know, it'd be, it'd be really great if we could help each other out. And so I, <laughs> in that moment, I, it wasn't that, I sort of was re- thinking this is what's happening, but it was also one of those things where I didn't just very nicely like, I, I think I even made a comment about like the last show I worked on had wizards. Like, <laughs> like it's not like no one was going to, no one would be interested in a procedural for me mm-hmm. at that point. Like I, I think all the shows I'd worked on were sort of much more younger. Like it was just, it was one of those things. Like even if I wanted to help, I wouldn't be helpful in some ways. I would actually be a, a, mm-hmm. like somehow attaching me. Like I didn't even know how one go about this. And so um, I kind of was trying to explain that. But did he, like, how clear was he in, so he pitched this thing in the meeting and then he was, what was the proposition? Was he very open about it or was he just like, wink, wink, nod, nod? It was more of, it was the, the only real spoken thing was the kind of one, the, the let's help each other out here. And so it was not, a, it was not an explicit demand in that, in, in, in that moment. But when I then tried to kind of just say that I really, that I'm very sorry, mm-hmm. like your pitch sounds great. I don't even, it's one of those, like, you're just being polite at that point. Mm-hmm. But also to say, I, I'm sorry, I actually can't help you. And I don't mean, and I mean that actually not in a way that I wouldn't try and help you, but in a way that I just, I actually don't have the ability to deliver on that. And then the whole meeting just ended at that point. And that's where it was sort of like, okay. So I walked out of that meeting and, and called literally every person I've ever met. <laughs> Immediately was like, am I reading this? Was this supposed to be a weird quid pro quo? 
most of the people I talked to, but I described what happened was like, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I still clung to the fact of, well, maybe there's a way. Cause I'd also, it was one of those things, the sunk cost policy, like it came all the way out here. And so on the advice of a couple of friends, they were like, just reach back out. Don't men just basically say it was great meeting. And yeah. let's work out how we can, let's, let's work out the, how I can get my degree. Like, don't mention the pilot and see, like, give him the space to not ever mention it again. Yeah. Then it, it, the kind of correspondence ended and uh, he referred me to an administrator assistant who said, oh yeah, we can take this, we can, we can take care of this. And so I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay, great. Like, this is, the awkwardness is done. This is fine. And then the next thing I know, they had signed me up for a full semester, full semester of tuition. Jesus Christ. Which was never part of what was discussed. I found out only because I got a late notice oh, no. for late fees on top. So nobody, so it also felt additionally punitive. Like it was yeah. one of those things yeah. like nobody, if, if this wasn't what I thought it was, like trying to be charitable, it wasn't what I thought it was. Well, shouldn't then there been an offer of what this independent study was supposed to look like? Like nobody even, I mean, at this point, because I was billed for those classes, I literally could have taken a bunch of classes for the fall semester mm -hmm. and nobody even told me. And so I didn't even show up for any of this. And so that, at that point, that's when I was like, Oh, it's exactly what I suspected it was. And at that point, then I, I, because I'd gone there as an undergrad, I knew where some of the levers of, I knew some of the resources to go to. And in that case, I, I, I immediately called the um, ombuds officer and spilled out this story where I, I, I'm leaving a voicemail that I'm very conscious of sounds like a Bigfoot sighting. <laughs> um, like it sounds so crazy. And so I, and the yeah. woman very nicely called me back and I sort of went through and I like with all my documentation and, yeah. and again, I'm, I keep saying to her, like, I know it sounds crazy. And so she intervened and took care of, you know, and sort of got all the charges removed, Gosh. um, had, had told, had sort of inferred that this would be taken care of. Um, and the chair then um, at the end of the academic year was, was no longer the chair. And so I, mm -hmm. I felt like that sort of, it was one of those things I felt like that had all gone, like, it is one of those bizarre things that just sort of was like, okay, that ended. And at this point, um, I was like, I am not even going to attempt to try and get my MFA anymore. Yeah. I don't care about the degree. I am done. And you were only doing it so you could talk to Columbia students without feeling weird. Yes. I know. <laughs> yes. And and so it was, and so it is one of those things. And so it's funny. So I thought like, it was one of the things like, okay, boy, do I have a bonkers story for you. But after I tweeted that, my oh, DMs shit. filled with people who had like very similar things, mm. not, not from Columbia, but other different well-respected schools where, you know, everything from versions of, as soon as I landed my agent um, my professors emailed me to say that that I had I kind of owed them and that they should send their script to their agents to wow. um, pay payments where you're expected to pay thousands of dollars and we can get your script in front of a, mm. um, a studio executive or a, um, or a big big agent and so it was this for me at least was this shocking window into the um, sort of black market economy of trying of people trying to leverage uh, students to. For, for either financial gain or for their own career path. 
It's interesting. So I, I did not have as kind of creepy of an experience as you. I ended up actually co-writing my first ever script that I got paid for, like a couple thousand dollars or something, um, with a professor of mine at school, which like felt very strange to me. It like felt kind of dirty, but was also like a really interesting learning experience that I was like, all right, I mean, this weird Chinese company is going to pay me $2,000 to co-write with him. Great. <laughs> um, but wait, speaking to like the last thing you said about just kind of wanting to suck as much money out of students as possible. One thing that Boston University did was at the end of our MFA, we had to pay an additional fee. We didn't have to, but they strongly encourage you to pay an additional fee to then ship us out to Los Angeles, where they set us up at Park La Brea. Um, well, we paid for it. And then we did uh, classes with a TV writer. And then we they hooked us up with internships around town, which was like, great. Like, okay, this to me, felt like a job path that I understood. Um, but the teacher was someone who had not been writing in the business for decades. And he did not, he, and he's still teaching there. Um, and he does, he does not understand the business currently, just currently, because he's not actively in it. So he says to me recently, because I went there to do something similar to you or to talk to students, and then also like sit on in on their pitch fest that they do. And he said to me like, oh, this is just kind of something we do. But we all know that like pitching isn't important in this industry anymore. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, a producer, a producer told me that pitching like isn't a, isn't a thing. And I'm like, that's completely false. I pitch for every single job I will ever get. And but he's te he's regurgitating this to these students who are paying them so much money to get this as their film education. And it's just such <laughs> I will refrain from cussing, but it's just so wow. frustrating that this is what um it, it does feel like a scam, as you were saying. It's a black market in many ways. It, no, it's awful. At least you should be, if, if you're going to be charging money, at least the, the, the advice should be good yeah. and useful and not the opposite of, 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 of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when I reached out to Boston University to just make them aware that the, the students were not being taught properly uh, uh, anything that will help them with their career and actually being taught things that will um, sort of hinder their process. I was, I, I got a response that was like, thank you, but no, thank you. We don't need your advice. Who are you anyways? <laughs> but they were You're like, let us, yeah, I'm an up and comer. Let us know when you have a studio movie and then we'll uh. talk was, was kind of what the email was <laughs> about. And I'm like, well, then that clearly shows you don't understand the business. If you think that's the only measure of success. That's crazy. Very bizarre. It does make you wonder what the value of that is. And and I think also to some extent, I you know, if there's one thing I could sort of get people in, that if you're on one of these programs, I think you do learn more, a lot more by doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it uh, I mean, like it, just listening to your, your open writing assignment uh, podcast with your year of 12 pitches, I, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if there was a class in how to pitch, you know, if like if, 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 if Boston University offered a class in how to pitch, Mm -hmm. Do you think you would have learned, even if it was a really good teacher, do you think you would have learned as much from like taking one class in pitching as you did as doing 12 of them? Absolutely not. But oh my God, if I had had a pitching class even at all, if they had even mentioned pitching <laughs> in those two years that I was there, oh God, I would have heard angels singing. No, obviously not. You, you, you learn by doing. But I think you know their job is still to set you up for as much success as possible. And I didn't even have a business for film industry class at BU. They, they did not. It was all about the craft. You are an artiste and that's who you are. And that does not prepare you for actually having a career. And so I came out and was just like swimming with sharks and did not know how to keep afloat 
Um, and it was, it was terrifying. And so, I mean, that to me is the biggest failing of the film industry is, is a like pitching, not having those kinds of practical classes, but for you just in, in your experience, like film schools in general, um, what do they least prepare you for in the industry? I think one of the things that, that what they didn't quite prepare was that the amount of work you need to be generating as a professional working, whether you're a writer or director, Mm-hmm. And that a lot of these things, I think the program is based where it almost feels like the matrix, where we're just going to download into your head and suddenly, you know, Kung Fu. And like, yeah. as opposed to, you know, you had a script and it largely is because it's the, you know, the, the number of students in the program and such. But like, I remember we had like five weeks to generate the next 20 pages of our script, where is was a working professional, like, no, like you have a week to write a full television script. Yeah. And I feel like that in some ways, that's the one thing that they could be doing. If I, if I, if someone asked me to design a program right now, I would treat it much more like, okay, every day you're writing, you know, five pages, every day you're directing something or every Mm -hmm. day, you know, just so you get the amount of volume that as a work. And I get, if you're just starting out, you're probably not capable of working at that speed. But I think that's one thing these programs don't prepare you for is that you don't have, you're not given that amount of time to turn in a script they need to be cranking up the the volume as far as what the work you're doing yeah that is such an interesting point that i have never really expected film school to do so never faulted them for but 100% that is absolutely something i see in writers who are struggling to have a career is their inability to manage their time and in, in that, that they can have multiple projects going and turning things in quickly um, and at the right pace to I, I think have their career grow and flourish at a, at the right pace. And something that happened in my program was we were meant to, they're like, you have to graduate with two scripts, no less. It has to be two features or we will fail you and you won't graduate. I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, I got to get my two scripts. And I turned them in and they're like, yeah, you kind of don't have to. And other people turned in half of one script and they still graduated. And I was like, what? <laughs> so that was my program. <laughs> no. And that's, that is like, they would, yeah, I mean, there was one guy I knew who I had been three screening classes with him, never finished a script. And then like afterwards, I found it like was now teaching screenwriting and it was like, whoa. But I think that that's where it's it's hard because I do think that the academic model weirdly isn't a good model, even though obviously it's an academic program, that I think it needs to be thought of a little bit maybe more, not a perfect metaphor, but athletics, like it's mm. developing muscles. I always tell Tasha, I'm like, <laughs> Writing is a sport. It is a sport. (laughs) It is treat it like a sport. You just get better and faster. And, and it's also one of those things where I think the, the reason I also like the sports analogy is because nobody assumes that they can clear a 20 foot um, high jump or I don't even know what that, like nobody, nobody thinks they can do that from, from like the get go or, Mm -hmm. or like nobody thinks nobody walks up to a hospital and says, I have an idea for open heart surgery. Can I try? Mm -hmm. Yet so many people think with writing that they can at their first time out, write an incredible script. And so I think a lot of times they get demoralized when you say it's when, I mean, what I've discovered through like, Oh, my wife's best friend's dentist has this script and we read it. And when I don't say it's the best script I've ever read, I've given it to my agents. My agents are on the phone with Paramount right now. And we're trying to decide (laughs) uh, which Chris to attach. You know, when you don't get that response, (laughs) they get totally demoralized and and sometimes angry. Like it's my fault. (laughs) But I do think if people sort of saw it more in the, sports or singing analogy um that they saw it as something that where you 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 had to be constantly sort of working at it and mm-hmm. yeah. and maybe you can't lift maybe you can't bench press 250 pounds right now 
But if you start at 50 and every week, add mm-hmm. another 10 pounds before you know it, you'll be there. That is actually so beautiful, James, because I agree that the film film school does teach that you are an artiste and genius will hit you and your script will be amazing or it won't because you don't have talent. But it that's that's not been our experience. And that's why we have this podcast is to talk about how difficult it is, the slog and how much work you actually have to put into it to have something that someone will want to sell to Paramount. That's a really insightful I think, observation about film school. But it takes a tremendous amount of discipline, and that's also what's hard. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I, I feel like this is all leading up to the, like, probably the final question, like the big question. Do we all recommend <laughs> film school? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a positive, I think, that film school taught me. Because I went to undergrad for English and history, I didn't have a film school education. And yes, could I have left and just done it on my own? Yes, that would have been very hard to also pay the bills and do that. So I went to school instead full time. And that did teach me so many things about film studies and film theory that I that I didn't get otherwise. Um, and it did teach me some really interesting ways of looking at screenwriting and the craft that I wouldn't have had otherwise because I had really quirky professors. Um, so all of that was very, very valuable. Would I have paid... to do that if I, you know, was doing it right now. No, no, I would not. So I would not recommend a film school at the end of the day, but there are some positives if you just have that money lying around. (laughs) Which, which also I feel a little bit, because I used to say like, well, if you have a ton of money and I've kind of now reevaluated that because I feel like that's sort of gross too. That, that sort of feels like it's like, well, but I do, I mean, if if we're going to say positives, (laughs) Let's, let's try it I think, with some positives. <laughs> it, I think one thing they do do is they do assemble a group of like-minded people who all have similar goals. And so my big chicken and egg conundrum is, I, okay, I did meet my writing partner mm-hmm. and he's from Georgia. So the likelihood of me meeting him outside of that, and maybe, may, okay, maybe I could have met a different writing partner, a better writing partner. I don't know. Oh, ouch. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm ouch, kidding. Chad. I'm kidding. Um, You're but, out, Chad. Uh, <laughs> but that, that, that magic did happen. And yeah. I think that we, we sort of did form a great partnership. And so I do think that that can happen in the best case scenarios. But also, given the cost, I kind of wonder, could this just be an app? Like we all punch in our zip code. And, oh, my God. And, and you get assigned 10 people. Because yeah. that you do want that camaraderie and you can help each other. I mean, like in theory, like if we were all sort of in the same program together and Tasha, you want to be a director, Josh, you want to be a writer, I want to be a cinematographer. In theory, we could all be working together mm-hmm. um, to try and generate some projects to get things going. Whereas if you're just kind of on your own, it's it's hard to basically call up a bunch of friends and say, will you act in this film or will you be a grip or will you spend all night holding a boom pole? <laughs> It does take a lot more time and effort to build a network if you're just coming out to LA, but people do all the time. So it it is weighing, realistically weighing the money you would pay to have sort of a shortcut to that network versus coming out here, having to work every day at a job, you know, maybe start as an intern, whatever it is, and build up that network from scratch. So those are two things to keep in mind. (sighs) So hard. So hard, James. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like if your kids said they wanted to go to film school, would you be like, no, we are, we're not doing that. Or would you be like, okay, go find yourself. 
No, I think so. Well, I think also a big difference is now so many resources are online. Yeah. I mean, just this podcast, for example, but even just like little things like I was watching and I don't necessarily recommend this, but like, I, I mean, like, so I, my wife has signed me up for masterclass. Yes. And so mm-hmm. I felt like it's, it's been eight months. I should watch one. <laughs> and so I watched the James Cameron one. And so it was one of those things where, where 80% of it's whatever, like it's, it's not very helpful, whatever, but he has two segment sections where he breaks down two scenes in one scene in Terminator, one scene in Aliens. And it's like the best film school. Like, I mean, the way he talks about what the psychological Mm -hmm. effect of this shot, why I did this. And I think you can find, I mean, it's sort of a shame that DVD audio commentaries have gone away because I felt like those were also great film school. But I feel like there's enough resources now that maybe, and you can you can choose. You can say, okay, I want to listen to a podcast from people who actually know what they're talking about, as opposed to hoping this professor who doesn't seem to be know what they're talking. You can you can sort of pick and choose and and decide who you want to be the authorities. Um, yeah. But it takes more discipline. That's that the, that's the downside. Yeah. And I'm lazy. Yeah. That is actually the advice I do give people is if you have, if you are disciplined and you have it in yourself to, to do that, charge forward on your own. But if you need, and I was kind of the person who needed structure, like you kind of talked about almost like needing this little cushion before you go out into the world. I think I did need film school, to be honest. And I'm glad I, I did it in, in some ways, but would I recommend it? My answer is no. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. How about you, Josh? <laughs> Oh, absolutely! No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I'm also I, no. I, I'm, also, I'm also probably in the no camp. But I, it is invaluable to go and, like you were saying, be around like-minded people and be around these people who are like a little crazy and think you can create these things. Like you need that in your life because if you're around people who are like, no, you don't write movies, don't don't do this, get a business degree or this and that, mm-hmm. and it just takes its toll on you. So I, you know, I feel like you need that environment of that you know, 18, 19 year old kind of like optimism of like, Hey, I'm about to fucking make star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's so it, yeah. no, and it's, it's, you need people to also be kind of pushing you creatively. I think, yeah. I think there's, there's nothing better than when you would read somebody else's thing and be like, I mean, it, it okay. It sucks in some ways. Um, but it's also like, Oh, you want someone to be kind of pushing you forward. Yeah, and totally. making you better. And um, I think that, that there is something to be said for that. I agree. But maybe it could be an app. Yeah. Like I almost want to be a, Or we a, just do a masterclass. <laughs> yes. Or just pay someone to say, you have to do this each week. Like, like you, yeah. something terrible will happen if you, if you don't turn those pages in or if you don't. Josh, is, Josh actually wanted to create an app where you could get someone to come to your house and kick you in the balls if you didn't. Finish your screenplay. I, <laughs> so, I, I would sign up for that. Yeah, it, it'd be like, "Hey, James, did you get your pages done?" You're, you're like, "Oh shit, no!" You're like, "You're you're you're a piece of shit," and then they just leave. Yes. Like, oh, yes. oh my god. <laughs> I personally, I respond to shame so much that that would be <laughs> motivating. Like that would you that would absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, when Tasha, when she gives me notes, I'm like, I don't want any good. I don't give me any positives. Just tell me wh- what I did for poorly here. Just go. And she's like, okay. He ignores all of my, this was great. <laughs> Shame <I know>. me. <laughs> oh, I know. It's like you, you, yeah, of course. You're like, well, you're just saying that'd be nice. 
Yeah, totally. You, you, I assume every negative note is is completely sincere, and every positive note is utterly insincere. And I've never <laughs> been able to train my brain to 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 think otherwise. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, I think you're right. Did we do it? I think we, we did. did it. I think we did it. Is there anything else, James? You want to tell people about the film school experience? Either warnings <laughs> or <laughs> I would. Okay, so I my one. Because I do, I do genuinely feel bad because immediately I didn't, it didn't occur to, because also I didn't know that was going to viral. But yeah. once it did, it didn't occur to me that there are 200 students currently in that program that I sort of dumped gasoline on a bad situation. Mm. And I, like, I'd heard from one of the students that were like, do we, I guess we take Columbia off our resume. And I was like, no, 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 don't, like, yeah. if you are deciding to go that route, really look at who the instructors are, ask pointed questions because questions I never even thought to ask, which is what is the success rate mm -hmm. out of this program? Yeah. Like, like, don't be afraid, don't be intimidated to say, who will I be get, getting instruction from? Look them up. If you feel, and it's also possible they may not be, they don't need to be Steven Spielberg to, to be a worthwhile instructor, but, but at least you want to sort of value to check and to make sure that there's somebody who, who would know what they're saying and you can then make a decision whether it's worth the cost. So I what, think that's it's nothing against that of, of you can ask those uncomfortable questions. Yeah. Which leads me to think, what do you, what do we say to people who are already at Columbia or already at Boston University who are already taking these classes and they're in it now and they want to make the best of their program? And I, don't laugh. I'm serious. Because like, <laughs> I know, to me, I, know. I feel like I would yeah. want to I would want to know what are the questions I should be asking? What are the programs I should be demanding? Um, you know, extracurricular things. Like, what what do you think those might be, James? I have some ideas. I mean, I think one is is to if you are. I mean, because the the so much of it, even in the best case scenario, is what you bring to it. So I do think if if I were if if, if I were currently a student, I would say is like if you need to be you need to be turning out a feature or a television pilot in a much faster clip. Just be ready. Just you know, use the program to the best of you can, but generate your own work at, at a, a faster pace than the program is, is demanding you do it. And also be very, if you can be more choosy about the professors that you have, that's great too. But I think that at this point, it's like you, you need to suck the program dry of everything you can get out of it at this point. But it really needs to be, you cannot be passive about it. You can't assume that they're going to give you anything. Mm -hmm. And it means also then looking ahead to making your own contacts. If there are, I mean, like I'm open to talking to anyone. And I think that it never occurred. It never occurred to me like, oh, let me reach out to, to even try. Like Catherine Bigelow had gone to Columbia years. Like, I don't think Catherine Bigelow is going to take my phone call, but I never tried. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think trying to, and trying to look at your group of friends, look at who the people that are like-minded and kind of make a little bit of a pact that we're all going to do this together and we're all going to help each other out. We're going to utilize our own sets of skills yeah. to, um, to to create a, a ladder to, uh, if one of us can be successful, the neck can pull, help pull the next one up. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I too would add um, network as much as possible because that is something great that that especially places like Columbia and Boston universities, film schools have um, a, gr a great resource there that you don't have if you just move to LA yourself. So definitely, you know, for Boston university, something they did was gave us a list of all of their former students who are now, you know, like you said, they're running CBS studios or whatever, reach out to them because actually when you're particularly when you're in school, they're willing to, to at least receive an email from you um, and, and just completely take advantage of that. I was very shy and I did not do that highly recommend. And also I think talk to your program directors, ask them 
for these classes that we're talking about, for pitching, for industry classes, ask if they can, can you know, create panels or something. If you are aware of what you need, you can address that with them and just try to build that out um, if they don't already have that. No, that's great. Because I do think, yeah, they don't think like, oh, yeah, almost anyone's willing to talk in, in sort of the, you know, kind of a font of wisdom. Um, and I think just as also with the networking, I think that so many people think that's just that's just networking up, but mm -hmm. network laterally, network down. I mean, in my case, it literally was it was because also people that are, are like there's a difference between me asking an assistant to read your script as opposed to saying, can you give this to your boss? Mm -hmm. Like there is there is that the one will probably could result in, in, in something positive whereas the other is just dismiss it and yeah. looking and noticing, at, you know an assistant to a producer probably also doesn't want to be an assistant anymore. And so they're also looking for a project that will raise mm -hmm. their stock. And so I think that it, too many people do think of like, oh, I just, I have to go talk to somebody who is this big wig. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. That's such great advice. Um, great. So I, can, can I just ask one question? What, where is the banana person now? Have you looked them up? That is up? such a good question. No, I've not looked them up. Um, <laughs> I, I will try and do that after this to see where, I mean, they, uh, like video class in particular is training them to do um, like museum installments, like art museum installments. So I think they all became just kind of oh. art, arty, boho people in the Bay Area. I, but if you're the banana woman, if you're the banana woman, please reach out. <laughs> please yeah. reach out. I would love to know what your journey has been. <laughs> we want you on the podcast. Please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am going to wrap up with a quote of the day. But before I do that, James, thank you so much for spending an hour and a half with us. No, I'm sorry. I'm long winded. So uh. no. no, this was great. It was really great to talk to you about this subject. Um, all right. Quote of the day. Super apt. Very depressing. We don't need books to make films. It's the last thing we want. It turns cinema into the bastard art of illustration. Peter Greenaway. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two. Josh loves when I give negative <laughs> quotes of the day. <laughs> follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. Or me on Instagram is Josh Hallman or Twitter at Joshua Hallman. And James, we already know, uh, but where, where can we find you? If you want um, I, I'm only on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I may be deleting my account, um, <laughs> but, uh, um, J, uh, S T O T E R A U X at, uh, so first initial last name at, uh, at Twitter or whatever at, yeah, that's yeah. just that. Sorry. I clearly don't know any of these, people. <laughs> no, no, no. but thank you. Thank you for having me. This was Absolutely. so much fun. Absolutely. I'm so glad. As always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.